Hi, and welcome to Failing to Save the Earth. This is episode number five, Failing Plans. This podcast is for all the water and land protectors out there, those who have struggled in the past or are struggling now to protect our natural world. The podcast is devoted to the idea that failure is not possible when standing up for life. In the spirit of those who came before us and for the love of those who will come after us, this podcast is for us to come together, to heal, to forgive, to dream, to find our power, and to lift up the stories of Earth come alive to defend herself, because that's what each of you are. Welcome. Join us in the circle, please. Today, my co-host is Wania Locke, and I'm going to let Wania introduce herself, but I will say that we are sisters. I adore her as a person and also just really respect her as a water protector, so you are in for a treat. Wania, would you like to let our guests know who you are? Hello, relatives. I greet you all with a heartfelt handshake. And I'm really excited to be here because as Sheree stated, we are sisters and I'm really thankful to have family within resistance and to create these allyships and these connections across the land. And I'm really happy that there's so many people that that have the same concerns that I do, that we all get to have these meaningful discussions. So I am part of the grassroots that did that did the original call out for everyone to come to Sacred Stone on Standing Rock way back in 2016. I'm also an Indigenous doula, and I'm also a Lakota language teacher, formerly. I still help in smaller capacities now, like transcribing and translating, but I chose to quit to be a full-time activist and protecting the land and i'm really excited to be here i'm so glad you're here all right i've started off each of these podcasts playing a word association game and uh, the point of it is i'm going to tell you just a few words and i want you to answer with like the first word that comes into your head and sometimes we might move on right away but sometimes we might talk about what that meant a little bit okay yep i'm ready okay your first word is strategy game plan Nice. Do you have a strategy like when you go into like a new campaign or with the work that you do, like generally for yourself? No, I don't because I usually, I like to, for me personally, I like to be on a consensus base with whoever I'm working with. And I have a really cool little hardcore group that I've been working with since 2016. We're known as the Ocha Tishakori Runners. They're the runners that ran um, on March 26 and 2016 to Mobile, South Dakota. And then they ran from Cannonball, North Dakota to Omaha, South Dakota in 2016. And then at the in the summer of 2016, they ran from Cannonball to Washington, D.C. And so they're like my little core network. And they're amazing. It's really hard to believe that they're no longer youth because they started out as youth. And we're really much like a consensus-based group. We all weigh in. There is no leader within our group. And that's one thing I think that was so sustainable about us is because there was no leader within our group at all. Like we, we always discussed everything from sexual assaults down to money, like the different issues that we that came up within every strategy that or every obstacle we had. It was a discussion and a group discussion. And I, I'm really thankful for that. Do you think that uh, like indigenous people tend to organize in that way more, like more on a consensus? I think so, especially within like Lakota communities, uh, especially where there 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 was historical consensus, right? Like they, there was historical, like everyone had to say, even down to children. I think indigenously, 
throughout North and South America, we did have a full thing of called body autonomy that was wiped out by colonization. That's what I believe. Like whenever I start doing research, it didn't, doesn't matter which tribe. Whenever I look back, I was like, oh, they had full body autonomy and they had choice. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's like, you know, I don't know, freedom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next word, tactic. I think tactic is really fun. I think tactic is something that you can do that, like the word associated with it, it would be tactic would be associated with fun. You got to make it fun and you got to make it hilarious and you got to make it attention grabbing. And yeah, so I say fun. And especially if you're doing it and you're not enjoying yourself or you're not, yeah, there's got to be some kind of base in there. That's what I'm saying is, is yeah, bottom line, you got to have fun. I agree. I totally agree. And I love the people I work, I, I work with. Like I just, we just laugh all the time. And especially my my aunties and my sisters when we get together. And I love the sound of native women laughing. <laughs> it's it's just beautiful. It's right. Like the eyes are closed and the head is back, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. How about protect? Everyone. That's the word I associate it with is everyone. And we just had this intense discussion yesterday. Because we went to the MMIW event. So MMIW is murdered murdered and missing Indigenous women. And they're calling out names. It was a really intense, intense day. And when we were decompressing, we were having this discussion, like, how do we handle predators? Because they're still our people. And how do we bring them back into society? And those are like deep questions. And some mm-hmm. of the answers I agreed with, like, you know, they're still our people, they need healing. And then I'm just like, yeah, I agree with that. And I, I do think that there needs to be a space found for our predators within our community. I just felt like I wasn't the one to create that space. And I wasn't the one. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I was like, I'm not in a good healing spot like for that. And I honestly felt like that should have been um, not to sound really misogynistic, but like, I was just like, I feel like that responsibility falls on males and like into a dress. I understand that there are female predators, but I also know that another female will always be willing to address another female. Mm-hmm, and yeah, and I, I just feel that responsibility, it really does rely on men to address really uncomfortable conversations that need to be had between them. Right. So like when I hear the word protect, I automatically associate with everyone. And that includes people that have done really bad things. Like, I don't like you, but I I still want to have to protect you. Right. Yeah. That's a hard one. Uh, That is really hard. Uh, Diversity. (laughs) I don't know. I struggle with this one a lot. Because I feel diversity, because of colonization, diversity is usually marginalized. And so I always struggle with it. But diversity is always a good thing. I agree there. Diversity is a really good thing. But I also don't think it should be tokenized and it should be marginalized within spaces, especially when it went within our own homelands and we're standing on our own homelands. And mm. like we're historically connected to this land diversity I would like to say unity that would be the word I would associate it with because you like I said if there was true unity with that diversity then there wouldn't be marginalized people that's true that's absolutely true a lot of times we see these NGOs a lot of times though uh, I can see their focus shift especially you know after years of discussions and with 
Native and Black folk, I could see them shift pretty well, but the, their focus, I think, was more on diversity. And so they would end up with, you know, people that wasn't like the situation where they were kind of being tokenized. They were kind of being like brought out just to show, hey, look, we have Black folks here. Yeah, but u- unity is the thing that is needed, actually, and solidarity. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. How about collaboration? Ooh, this is a good one. So collaboration is really fun. And again, I'm all about tactics and collaboration and knowing each other's strengths. And that goes along with tactics. So collaboration and tactics are really go hand in hand. But like, like I'm really good at telling a story. You ask me a question and I can break down the whole story for you. And so just knowing what other people's strengths are and, and collaborating those efforts to continue and furthering the vision and continuing those goals is really vital. So, so within my Within my group, I have someone that's really good at logistics. Like, you know, they're the ones like getting our hotel rooms in order. They're getting our, they're getting everything that we need in place. Like, you know, this is how far you're driving today. Here's the gas card you're going to need. Here you go. You know, like they just handle it. And I'm really thankful for them because I don't have that. I don't have that at all. Um, I'm really good at telling a story. I'm really good at <laughs> different things, but logistics is not one of them. I'm always like freaking out when I have to do it. And that's collaborative effort that really helps the whole group. And then the other thing that I actually learned from you, Sheree, was shifting those responsibilities too and having everyone take a different try at, at all of that. And I thought that was really cool. Because that's one thing that I really enjoyed about being within your space was we couldn't do the same thing that we did the day before. And yeah. I thought that was really cool. I really thought that was really cool. And so we, you know, we do, we have tried that. Yeah. When I came back, I was just like, yo, this responsibility is always falling on so-and-so. So we're going to shift it. You, why don't you give a crack at it? And then we like, we're just going to try all these different roles out instead of just being completely codependent on this one person to do this one task. And it right. was, yeah, it was really cool. And it took a lot of pressure off of whole group. And I thought that was really amazing. And it gave like new skill sets. And so that was one thing I really enjoyed about it is it gave new skill sets to try. And I think that's what collaboration is about. Awesome. Yeah. Man, did you see that line at the grocery store? That was really long. Yeah, it was a long time. Crazy. Hey, Mom, look, it's a protest. Yep, looks like a big one, too. There's that evil scoundrel over there. Let's go get him. Wait, no, we can't do that. They're getting off work now. They're on their own time. We should respect that. Why? We don't get a break from them. Why should we give them a break? Who's right, Mom? Mom, I have my own opinions about that, son. But honestly, it doesn't really matter. If we believe that everyone has a role to play in justice movements, then we have to let people have autonomy. The answer for a bad guy oppressing is not a good guy oppressing. Well, it looks like things are getting intense over there. Sign this petition to stop this madness. Get out of here, petitions are useless. Are petitions useless, Mom? Honestly, yeah, at this point in the game it is. Change happens when inequitable power dynamics are disrupted. Sometimes people can get confused on what is creating lasting change and what is simply expressing your opinion. In this case, they know your opinion and they just don't care. What is needed now is power. The thing is, petitions are not useless all the time. 
One of the first things you can do to ensure success in your struggle is to bring like-minded people together. Petitions are a great way to see who cares about a particular issue and gives them the option to learn more and hopefully participate more deeply as the resistance grows. The same goes with surveys, educational outreach, canvassing, and so on. There's room for everyone and everyone should make room. How do you know if it's performance or not? If it's not clogging up the machines that are breaking our bones, if it's not creating discomfort for those who are most guilty, while also creating wealth and power for those most impacted, it's a performance. And that's okay, but it's not going to create change. Things are getting out of hand. We should just talk to them and get a seat at their table. Yeah, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. You know, boys, a lot of people think that the proximity to power is power, but that's just not true. Sometimes, if you do get to be at the table, and especially if you don't, you just got to get up from that seat and flip the table. We all eat, or no one does. The cops are coming! They're trying to corral us! Corral? Yeah, like kettle. Push them into a corner to control the group better. That's what the cops do. See how people are spreading out and regrouping? Yeah. That's because they know their enemy. They know how the cops act. They know who the decision makers in their struggles are. See, they have water and medics. They've practiced and they're ready. That looks scary. And it is, but it's also necessary to build power. And it can look many ways. It's basically about refusing to play along and participate in these unjust systems. That may look like a nonviolent protest, or it may be high participation boycotts, or it may be gathering to provide witness and protection to someone who's actively being systematically or personally mistreated. Besides, being scared is a good sign. It means you're being aware and smart and infinitely brave. It's not the doing it that makes you brave. It's the doing it scared. Besides, there's another reason to appreciate the pushback. What? Well, it means you're being effective. You can measure the worth of your personal and collective power by the depth of your enemy's response to you. Why would they fight you so hard if it wasn't for the fact that you were creating power? And that scares them. So yeah, if you're in a social justice movement and you're dealing with these intimidation tactics, just remember, when you're getting your ass kicked by your enemy, it's because you're kicking your enemy's ass. This ain't right. We won't take it no more. Hell no, we won't go. Hell yeah, right on. Okay, boys, let's go. But mom, we want to stay in protest. Well, you have autonomy, so you're welcome to stay. But I have to get these groceries home and make dinner. I am kind of hungry. Yeah, let's go. Good idea. Being wise is knowing when to fight, when to retreat, when to pray, and when to be the arm of karma. And the army marches on their stomach. You got that right. I hope they're protesting tomorrow. In these times, they better be. Just remember, you give them some respect and you honor them. Because that's a sacrifice. And don't you ever be so bold as to think that you're the best person to counsel a rabbit on how to get himself out of the jaws of a coyote. He's been in those jaws for a long time. He knows what he's tried and what he hasn't. If you want to be an ally, stop the coyote. Failure. The best lesson in life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I remember being in my thirties and being like, what the, you know, what the F yeah. uh, and I was just like, dang, there was a lot of heartbreak and a lot of setbacks. And I'm really thankful now that I went through them because I have a pure understanding of like, what is narcissism? What is gaslighting? And 
because of all the trauma from my choice or from other people's choices, I can see things in a whole new perspective. And I'm really thankful for that. And I'm really thankful that those lessons came. That's one thing that me and my, one of my aunties were talking about a hardcore Lakota concept is any experience that we have in this plane down here on earth, we chose it before we even came. So we got, we had to pick our parents and I'm always just, cause I'm always asking like, why the hell did I pick my dad? <laughs> why the hell did I pick my mom? You know? And I get so annoyed by that. And then, but it also brings me comfort too. Like, oh, I picked him for a reason. And um, this is who I picked to be my foundation. And all the hardships that I went through of dealing with narcissistic people and gaslighting throughout my whole life I was just like wow and not necessarily for my blood family either FYI but just like in general it just really made me realize like how many people are traumatized and how many people are actively trying to heal themselves and that really blew my mind and one thing that I learned about failure is everything I don't deal with someone else is going to have to deal with for me and that really the cause and effect is really what made me take a step back and really start trying to heal myself so no one had to put up with my bullshit. And that's, yeah. that's the, the greatest lesson from failure. Yeah, we had talked about this before, but you know, a lot of times from my perspective, it has a lot to do with people's early interaction with failure happening. And if, you know, in early childhood, people were there to be like, that's okay, everybody fails. And here's how we do that. You know, then people got that was okay to fail, you know, and I think that's super important in our movement that we all singly look at how we think about failure, because that could keep us from being our best selves, just being scared of that idea. And so this whole thing is about how do we reshape failure, not just in our words and what we say, but also in what we do. So with Bayou Bridge, we had our big goal, of course, was to stop the Bayou Bridge pipeline. But we also knew at the beginning that it was going to be an uphill fight. And so we we thought of like four other things, goals that we wanted to do. We wanted to lift up the basin. We wanted to do all this stuff. And we were able to achieve those goals. So when it went through, I felt like, yeah, it was sad because we didn't do the one thing that we were trying to do. But I also felt really good because I knew that we move the movement forward, right? We created space and resource and time and skill sets and that that fight would continue to go on. So I have a question for you. I know you do a lot of different things. And so I'm wondering, like, how do those things relate to each other? And I'm wondering, because I get told this all the time, has anyone ever told you you should just stick with one thing and not go to any other issues? Yeah, all the time. (laughs) I want to address that one right away. People tell me that all the time that I seem really unfocused and I seem that I need to just take one issue on at a time. And I'm just like, that comes down to full body autonomy. And I was like, you're not carrying it. I am. And it is up to me whether or not to carry on more or not. And that's the way I've always addressed it all the time. Because I am in Lakota revitalization. And I was a hardcore key player for 10 years of my life. Like I was studying, breathing, living Lakota language throughout 10 years of my life. And I'm really thankful for that period of time in my life. And I'm really thankful that I got to lay down that foundation that Lakota revitalization was a part of. And um, and then becoming an Indigenous doula, that's way separate, you know. But it was actually my sister who, that's the way I would start all of my speeches. Like anytime I went into spaces you know, our thought process changes when we start thinking with Lakota thought. Mm-hmm. And this is why it's really important that we speak our indigenous mother tongues. Doesn't matter who, 
And I honestly believe that this is why white society is like completely crazy and unstructured Mm -hmm. is because they don't speak their mother tongue. Everyone's speaking English. And, you know, if they were speaking, you know, the French, if they were speaking, you know, Finnish, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter which culture they come from, if they were all speaking it, I think it would give them a whole different thought process on Mm -hmm. life and how to be a really good citizen of this world. Yeah, that's what I honestly believe, because I understood when I started learning our language, where I put a whole new lens and a whole new perspective. And it's interesting because like I grew up in the culture, right? So I grew mm-hmm. up going to ceremonies and powwows and, you know, living within a, a 100% all Lakota community. But even though I grew up in that setting, I really didn't understand the true meaning of what it meant to be Lakota until I started learning Lakota language. And then when I started having Lakota thought process, that's when I was like, oh, I get it now. I understand it. <clears throat> and um, and then so my sister was the one that checked me and said, you're really advocating hard that Lakota language is comes first. And she was like, which is true for the ones that are already here. The ones that are already here need to learn our language. Mm-hmm. But she was also like, you need to become an indigenous doula. In fact, I like, oh, I can't do it this year. I kept putting it off, kept putting it off. Finally, she didn't even tell me. She was like, she just sent me a message. And she was like, and this is the older sister move, right? Like, where they don't discuss shit with you. And they're just like, here's a block of dates and you're coming to this. And so when I arrived, that's when I realized, like, oh, <laughs> I'm in a doula program. <laughs> right I mean but that's like an older yeah that's an older sister move like that's totally yeah yeah. a little sister would never pull that like ever (laughs) so I went through the training and I was really intimidated by it because I have never seen female or feminine power before and just really understanding how oppressed we were and how body autonomy didn't exist Mm -hmm. anymore it was a whole nother level for me to go through and so I feel like we can start with like having traditional birthing for Lakota women and Dakota women. And then if we're already having a language revitalization, then we can bring up this whole new generation. But people always ask, like, why did I quit? Why did I stop being um, a Lakota language teacher full time? And the reality was, is I couldn't look at my students and inspire them to be Lakota and inspire them to speak our language and to walk Lakowichoch and not have them have a world to walk on. That was the reality. Like I couldn't look at them anymore and inspire them anymore, knowing that our planet was dying, knowing that our star constellations no longer match up with our seasons and knowing that there is a, you know, the shift was coming within society, which I'm really thankful. That's one thing that I'm really thankful for is people are becoming conscious, but it sh- they should have been conscious like 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Right. And society as a whole, we're in a fight or flight, like fight or flight collectively. We're in that, that trauma state right now. People are running and hiding from the fact that that climate change is occurring from uh, systemic oppression globally or they're they're fighting back and that's a collective just like it was collective trauma and grief that we went through with the pandemic and you know every community lost people from the COVID pandemic people didn't understand that either that we were all collectively grieving together Mm -hmm. globally 
And that's a first traumatic event that happened in over, was it 200 years? Where globally we were affected. And it's the same thing we're in right now. So globally we're this fight or flight stance. And it's interesting watching where people will stand. And that's where I'm coming from. Like, well, I can't promise you a beautiful culture and growing up in this beautiful culture if you can't even breathe the air or drink the water or stand on the land in its pristine historical state. I mean, that's basically what happened to me with the BP oil spill. I came back and I and I looked at the kids and I said, what am I going to leave for them? What are we leaving here? You're seeing this through this lens of sustainability for your children and their children and their children and so on and so forth. I love the idea that new babies coming into the world would hear their language as the first word that they hear. It's first of all, it's beautiful. But secondly, it just is so inspiring and resilient. Is there any way that your work has influenced the way you've been a mom? Oh, yeah, definitely. I was really hands on as an active parent when they were little. And when they got into their teen years, that's when I start stepping away. And that's one thing that like the Cubs have always reminded me of that they they did feel abandoned at different Mm -hmm. points in their life. um, Because I was doing activism. But if I didn't go and do it right, then this drill would have been arrived, or Mm -hmm. this dam would have been built or they would have been starting fracking here in our homelands because I was in trauma response and really reactive like okay they're coming with this new permit or they're coming with the drill or they're coming with a substation material it was really reactive like I would drop everything and run and go I feel like as a parent even though the cubs are really understanding and Mm -hmm. explaining it they still felt abandoned and I don't think that they should feel guilty for feeling abandoned. And then on that same hand, I feel like activism really did help me to become a better parent because it helped me to not look at my cubs as my cubs, but it helped me to look at them as people and having their full body autonomy, dealing with their own trauma and being able to listen to them. And then also learning how to put up boundaries with them too. Mm -hmm. I will stand for this, but not this. And then, you know, hearing them too, like having them put up boundaries with me, like I can't have you do this to me as a mother, you know, those Mm -hmm. are hard words to hear. They are, (laughs) but necessary. Yeah, right. (laughs) They really really are harder words to hear. But and also it's a good sign. It means like you've created space where they can feel comfortable enough to to say what they're really feeling. So many places out there that people don't feel that or in families, you know, right. And then that's because they're conditioned by society. People are always shocked that my kids went to mainstream school, but I always gave them the option. Every year I would ask them, like, you want to be homeschooled or you want to go to school? And they would always choose. And now, like hindsight, the two older ones like, man, I should have been homeschooled like you asked. (laughs) (laughs) I was willing to. You said no. (laughs) (laughs) But now they get it. They're like, wow, we're really indoctrinated from childhood to being a young adult. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I know that. And that's something that they're taught, right? That's something that I even taught, right? We're going to stand in this line. We're going to go in this direction. No one can talk in the hallways. We're going to do this and that, you know? Right. And it's really understanding that conditioning. Like, dang, wow, this is how I contributed to that conditioning. (laughs) But yeah, we're conditioned by society to not express how we think, feel. It's been so normalized that everyone think it's okay to not express who they are. Right. 
Do you remember when, um, I mean, I know that you did a lot of work around Dapple. You did a lot of work around the KXL fight. These people, you know, they have money, they have privilege, they, you know, it's, it's a struggle. I just want to know what you're thinking when you decide to get into a struggle that you know that you'll most likely not be successful. <laughs> so with Dapple, FYI, we didn't lose it yet. Mm -hmm. We're still in the fight. It's still in litigation. And we're just right. doing different things. As far as cakes out, during third round of cakes out, I only attended no cakes out events. I wasn't mm -hmm. an organizer then at all. And then Dapple happened. And that's when I became an organizer with Dapple. Once you have the facts in there and no matter how painful it is, whether you're taking on a multi-billion dollar industry or a nonprofit or city council meeting, I think as long as you stand in your own truth, everything will be okay. Even if you fail at attempting your goal, you can honestly look at your children and be like, I knew this was coming. And I did the best that I could at that time. And yeah. I think that's really important. That's one thing I just really want to say, like, if it's the truth, like if this is going to be harmful to your community, no matter how many people you're going to lose, no matter how much financial your stability, like your home life stability, we've seen people do that all the time with the resistance. Yeah. Or they lose their homes, they lose their family, they lose their jobs. Living sustainably within resistance is extremely hard, extremely hard. When you do it and all those small victories lead to a bigger victory, it feels really good in the end. There really is no small change, is there? And I, I just feel like everything that you're doing is about protecting life. And I just appreciate you so much for that. All right. Well, I guess we're done. I appreciate you so much. Thank you.